Welcome to another episode of the Father Ted Talk, broadcast here at the National Shrine of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton in Emmitsburg, Maryland. Now here's Father Ted. Today on this Trinity Sunday, the Church is inviting us to consider this central mystery of our faith, the mystery of there being three persons and the one God, one divine nature, but three distinct persons without there being three separate entities. And this is a subject which we don't speak about very often. It's something which maybe the words of Deuteronomy apply very appropriately. Did, ev- did anything so great ever happen before? Was it ever heard of? You know, is this notion of God found anywhere else? And the answer is no. Like, this is a very unique belief of the Christian faith. And the idea that there is, there are three persons and one God. This is not something which a human person would make up. It's not as if Jesus said, well, I want my religion to catch on, so I'm going to make up this one God, three persons business. That'll be really easy and like, attractive to people. Like, No, the, the only reason why we have this belief is because God told us about it. Because it is, in fact, the reflection of who God is. But despite its central importance, despite of just how big of a deal it is, we don't really talk about it that much. It's perhaps because it seems to be an arcane or obscure, inaccessible doctrine, something which doesn't really affect the way that we go about our daily lives. You know, what, what difference does it make to me if there is one God and three persons, we could say? But we are always making references to it. It's not something which gets left by the wayside. You know, every single one of us who was baptized, we were baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Every time we make the sign of the cross, we are invoking the Most Holy Trinity. Every week at Sunday Mass, right after the homily, we stand up and we profess our belief in God, the Father Almighty, His Son, who is consubstantial with Him, and with the Divine Spirit, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified. And if you were to count the number of instances in the course of any given Mass, the number of times we make a reference to the Trinity, it would very quickly build up. Because over and over again, we are calling upon the Most Holy Trinity. And the reason why it comes up so much, the reason why the Church brings it to our attention so frequently, is because of its importance. There's a paragraph in the Catechism of the Catholic Church paragraph 234, which talks about, which says this, the mystery of the Most Holy Trinity is the central mystery of Christian faith and life. And that's an important conjunction there. It's the central mystery of Christian faith and life. It's not just about what we believe, but it also should affect our lives. But before we get to how it should affect our lives, it could be helpful for us to have a refresher, a reminder, or perhaps investigate what the Trinity is. Like, what does it mean when we say three persons, one God? Like, why is it that we can say that? There was a Catholic theologian from the 20th century by the name of Frank Sheed who had a pretty straightforward explanation of the Trinity. Obviously, this is something which you're not going to perfectly understand. If you perfectly understand the Trinity, it's because you haven't understood it. It's something which we're not going to get there. But this can help 
close the gap. They can help us grasp perhaps a little bit more thoroughly. Frank Sheed pointed out that the Trinity is much like a human person. Every human person exists. They have being. And because we are spiritual beings with souls, we're capable of thinking. We have ideas. We have concepts. Not just about exterior realities. I don't just have ideas of that tree or of that piece of grass or of that bird or of that insect that's coming out of the ground and climbing up trees and making lots of noise. I also have ideas about myself. That's the reason why human beings are the only people, the only creatures, the only animals that write diaries. We have ideas of ourselves and we put them to paper and we call it a diary. We can reflect on ourselves. Now God is also a spiritual being. John tells us that God is spirit. And he also has ideas. And he also has an idea of himself. But when God thinks about something, it's a perfect idea. It's a perfect concept. The notion he has of something is a perfect reflection of what that thing really is. My idea of something is very limited. You know, we're always talking about trying to grow in self-knowledge, trying to figure out who we are, trying to learn more about other people, trying to learn more about creation. Our ideas are imperfect, but God does not suffer imperfections. If God has anything, it is perfect, and that includes the idea he has of himself. God has this perfect idea of himself, and that perfect idea of himself must exist. It must have being. And it cannot be an imperfect idea. And so it must be a perfect being. And this perfect idea that God has of himself, we call the Word of God, the Son of God, the incarnate Word, because that Word, the idea God has of himself, became flesh. This is the begetting of the second person of the Holy Trinity. When God the Father has the idea of himself, there is a generation of that second person, the Son. And then when you have these two distinct beings in God, you have the Father and you have the Son, they know each other reciprocally. They have this idea of each other. And so they see the other one as perfectly good, as perfectly beautiful, as attractive, we can say, in a spiritual sense. And this acknowledgement of the goodness of the other person, the Father of the Son, the Son of the Father, that's going to cause love because love is generated, spawned, comes about when we see something good. I love that which is good. And God too loves what is good. The Father sees the Son as good and He loves the Son. The Son sees the Father as good and He loves the Father. But once again, in God there is nothing imperfect. You do not have faulty loves or selfish loves or limited loves. When God loves, He loves wholeheartedly. And that means us too. Like, God doesn't love us little bits and pieces. It's not as if he says, well, I love you a little bit and you a little bit more and you behave the best of all, so I love you most. God loves us all perfectly. And the Father loves the Son perfectly. The Son loves the Father perfectly. And from that love, which is perfect, it mu there must be an existence. There must be a being. It is from that which the third person of the Holy Trinity comes, who we call the Holy Spirit. This is like... One way of understanding the Trinity is actually derived from St. Augustine. But once again, we're never going to fully grasp the mystery of the Trinity. 
St. Thomas Aquinas said we're not even going to fully grasp ever the nature of a honeybee. It's too complicated. It's too intricate. We're not going to get there. And so much less so are we ever going to get to a full, perfect comprehension of the Most Holy Trinity. We don't even grasp ourselves. If you were to just think about the purely physiological aspect of your body, so we're not even talking about souls yet. We're just talking about corporeal, material part of us, the body. It is so far beyond our capacity to grasp. Each one of us is made up of 30 trillion distinct cells at any given moment of our life because they go about dying and then being recycled. And each one of those 30 trillion cells has more or less so 10,000 chemical operations that it is performing. The human body, it's made up of 206 bones, 639 muscles, 4 million pain sensors in the skin, 750 million air sacs in the lungs alone, 16 million nerve cells. And these are just some of the cells that make up those 30 trillion with which we are composed. That's not even counting the brain, which is the most complex piece of matter in the universe. With this, all these complex microscopic processes going on, for a total of around 650,000 hours, if you live 74 years, it's a miracle that we exist. Like, this body that we just so often take for granted is so intricate, so complex, so mind-boggling, you know, we, we, we know more about it now than we did 50 or 100 years ago, but there's a lot more that we have to learn. As the psalmist says, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. So if this is how complex a single human body is, and each of the human bodies is unique, how much more so must the Holy Trinity be unique and intricate and unfathomable? Now, this is not to say that the Holy Trinity is something irrational. We, 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 I'm saying that we cannot fully understand it. But that doesn't mean it is illogical. It means it goes beyond our capacity to understand. Because we are limited. We're human beings. There's stuff that we cannot do. You cannot teach a plant to play fetch. You cannot teach Fido, who plays fetch, algebra. He's not going to get it. You cannot teach a human being about the Trinity in its fullness. St. John Marie Vianney appreciated the incomprehensible nature of the Trinity. Uh, he, he's the patron saint of priests. He lived in uh, 19th century France. He died in 1859 after the French, uh, in post-revolution France, post-Napoleon France. And um, his, he had a priest friend who wrote to him one time saying he, he had written a book about the Trinity. This friend of John Rivini had written a book about the Trinity. And he said he had finally understood the Trinity and he had explained it in his book. And St. John Rivini responded with a very short letter that might not have you know, expressed a lot of theological depth, but it was very wise. The, the, the response of St. John Rivini was, burn your book, it cannot be true. Because any, any person that thinks they've explained the Trinity is far, far off the mark. So we might not be able to fully grasp, but from what we do understand of the Trinity, there are some practical ramifications. The most important, perhaps, comes up in the Last Supper, 
where our Lord told his apostles that were gathered there, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will come to you, and my Father and I will dwell in you. We will make our abode with you. And he says the same thing about the Holy Spirit in the, at the Last Supper. Jesus Christ said, I will ask the Father, and he shall give you another paraclete, the Holy Spirit, that he may abide with you forever. That is to say, if we love God and we keep his commandments, we're in the state of grace, we become a tabernacle of God, a dwelling place of the Most High. The three divine persons are within our souls. That should be a mind-boggling idea. That should just blow us away. That the creator of the universe, the omnipotent, omniscient, eternal, transcendent God is in my soul. That is how important we are to him. He will not simply love us from out there. He comes within us to love us from within. And so the practical part. Do I act as if the triune God is within my soul? Do I change my behavior to reflect that reality of the inhabitation of the Most Holy Trinity? Because we should live a little bit differently if God is within us. For example, we should have a greater amount of respect for ourselves and for other people if the Trinity is within us and possibly within them as well. It should encourage us to lead holier and purer lives. It's in the same way that, you know, when you see a woman who is expectant, who's pregnant, you know, we open the door for her. We give up our seat for her. We show, you know, we are more respectful because she is carrying another human being within her. So too, your neighbor is potentially carrying the Holy Spirit within them. And you are possibly carrying the Holy Spirit within you. So how should you treat yourself? How holy of a life should you live on account of that? And also, it should be a source of strength and encouragement. Because life is really hard. Life is tough sometimes. We can get obviously discouraged when things don't go our way or when just our plans don't work out or when there's a lot. They're like, we know exactly what we got to do and it's tough. But God is within us. Like the psalmist said, the Lord of might is with us, our God is within us, and the God of Jacob is our helper. Or like Jesus said in today's gospel, I am with you always, until the end of the age. To wrap this up, I remember when I was 16 years old, my sister was graduating from, T from Thomas Aquinas College in Southern California, and they just built a new chapel down there, and they called it Our Lady of the Most Holy Trinity. And I was really befuddled as a 16-year-old even, wondering, like, why in the world does Our Lady come off being called Our Lady of the Most Holy Trinity? Like, where does that mean? Because Our Lady of Lords, that makes sense. She appeared in Lords, so she's Our Lady of Lords. Our Lady, cause of our joy, because she makes us happy. She causes joy in our lives. Our Lady of Sorrows, because she stood at the foot of the cross. Like, these make sense, but, like, where does the Trinity come up in Our Lady's life? And the reason is that there's, no, there's nobody who is so entwined with the Trinitarian life as Mary was. She is the beloved daughter of God the Father. She is the faithful spouse of God the Holy Spirit, and she is the mother of God the Son. And so to her on this Trinity Sunday we turn, asking that she might intercede for us, 
and that her prayers might allow us a greater appreciation of the indwelling of the Holy Trinity in our souls so that we might live in accord with that sublime reality.